This podcast is proudly brought to you by Soul Street Coffee. Start your day with a smile. You can visit them at www.soulstreetcoffee.com. And Anchor, the premier podcast hosting platform. Are you interested in launching your own podcast? Please visit them at anchor.fm. Welcome into our coverage of the Southeastern Conference football season. Hi everyone, I am Summer and I want to thank you for joining us. I am pleased to be joining my guys Billy and Kenneth all season long, covering the best conference in college football, and they will be joining me in just a moment. Kenneth has said all week long in our production meetings that for him that he didn't do a good enough job in looking at the data and ignoring the narratives. The news about Vanderbilt having so many players out we didn't get that until moments before kickoff against South Carolina and the other game was the Aggies beating Florida. He focused more on the tickets that were coming in on Florida rather than seeing the big bets that were coming in Aggies. So this week it was getting back to basics for our team, crunching the data, tracking the line movements, and checking in the any pandemic news. Here's the lineup for Saturday's games. Vanderbilt and Missouri and the LSU and Florida has been postponed. Auburn at South Carolina. Kentucky at Tennessee. Texas A&M at Mississippi State. Ole Miss at Arkansas and the game of the week Georgia at Alabama. And now Billy will give you where the lines and totals open for each game, and at the end of the podcast, we will give a last look to see where they are before kickoff. The Missouri and Vanderbilt game and the LSU and Florida game are now off the board. Auburn open favored by three over South Carolina with a game total of 49.5. Our power ratings have this game with Auburn favored by four. Tennessee open favored by seven over Kentucky with a game total of 51.5. Our power ratings have this game with Tennessee favored by two. Texas A&M open favored by 5.5 over Mississippi State with a game total of 55.5. Our power ratings have this game with A&M favored by 7.5. Ole Miss open favored by 2 over Arkansas with a game total of 74.5. Our power ratings have this game with Ole Miss favored by 5. And finally, the SEC game of the week Alabama open favored by 5 over Georgia with a game total of 49.5. Our power ratings have this game with Alabama favored by 3. Thank you Billy. And after this commercial break, I will be joined by Kenneth for his analysis for each game. In the next segment, we will go through the first part off the Saturday slate. We are pleased to be partnered with our dear friend Rachel Barbo and her organization I'm Changing the Narrative. The mission of I'm Changing the Narrative is to promote positive mental health and good love for yourself and others to serve as an inspiration for students, professionals and parents to create an individual legacy of purpose, passion and platform. Rachel speaks to athletes about taking back the headlines for good, showing them that they have the power to change the narrative and to find their purpose in life outside of their sport. To live lives of purpose, passion, and platform. Just like her inspiration, Alabama and NFL star, Kevin Turner did before he succumbed to ALS and CTE. For more information please visit www.iamchangingthenarrative.org. Welcome back everyone and I'm pleased to be joined by both of my guys Billy and Kenneth and let's start with our first three games on Saturday. Our first game was supposed to be Missouri and Vanderbilt, but this game was postponed due to the pandemic. Our next game is LSU at Florida was going to be LSU at Florida, but this game was postponed due to the pandemic, but we are pleased that Gator Dave joined Kenneth to break down the Florida Gators season. Here is the interview with Gator Dave and Kenneth. You can find him on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC and his podcast The Gator Breakdown on News4Jacks.com. Welcome back everyone and I'm pleased to be joined by both of my guys Billy and Kenneth and let's start with our first three games on Saturday. Our first game was supposed to be Missouri and Vanderbilt, but this game was postponed due to the pandemic. Our next game was going to be LSU at Florida, but this game was also postponed due to the pandemic, but we are pleased that Gator Dave joined Kenneth to break down the Florida Gators season. Here is the interview with Gator Dave and Kenneth. 
You can find him on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC and his podcast, The Gator Breakdown, on News4Jacks.com. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm pleased to be joined by Gator Dave. Uh, you can find Gator Dave at GatorDave underscore SEC. He's also the host of Gators Breakdown, and you can find that podcast on News4Jacks.com. Dave, I want to say, first of all, thank you for coming on, my friend, and um when we first set this up, we were getting ready for a matchup between the Florida Gators and the LSU Tigers. We know that that game has been postponed due to the um, COVID outbreak. So, uh, Dave, let's just uh, take a quick review on what you saw with the uh, Florida Gators um, versus the A&M Aggies last weekend. Yeah, Kenneth, thanks for uh, having me here uh, on this and. Uh, going back to last week, yeah, you, you got to go and, and look at the continuation of, of Florida's defensive struggles. Uh, that's what uh, lost in the game uh, versus Texas A&M. And you go back to the first week of the season, and you're playing Ole Miss, and you're playing that new look uh, team with, with Lane Kiffin leading the charge, and you didn't know what to expect. So, you know, I expected a little, maybe a little slower start on defense, uh, and not, you know, especially going through everything COVID-related and, and not having a training camp and all that. And, not knowing what to expect, you could see why Florida would give up some yards and points uh, to Ole Miss. And then the next week, he kind of continued versus South Carolina. It got a little bit better, but uh, South Carolina was able to, to to stay on the field for pretty much the whole fourth quarter uh, there, and just you know just kept on the field by converting by converting fourth downs, uh, not necessarily third downs. That's been kind of the problem for the whole season. And then the A and M game comes along, and uh, they only don't convert you know two third downs uh, the the whole game. And, you know, Florida's offense can't get on the field in the second half just because a and controlling the clock. And it was just, uh, you know, it's been kind of an, an historic uh, little stretch for this Florida defense of just how bad they're playing and kind of somewhat of a surprise. And, yeah, you lost some leadership, but you also had a lot of players returning from last year's defense. And uh, it just uh, – it, it's not a good look right now. I, I've never seen a Florida defense this bad for this long going on three games in a row. And – uh, of course, you know, the big thing was you got to go get it fixed this week. Uh, but now we'll, we'll kind of see where it goes moving forward. And I was just going to say, Dave, um, looking at the schedule and with uh, next week being the uh, bye week, this is a kind of a maybe a blessing in the skies for for uh, defense coordinator Ty Grantham to really kind of uh, reset the tone because this mess matchup with LSU would have been two defensive coordinators along with um, the defensive coordinator at Alabama who are under immense uh, pressure from the fan base as far as um, got to get this defense fixed. Yeah, you know, you're talking about three programs there who have had good defenses for as long as you can remember. And now yes, sir. They just can't get it done. Uh, and it, it would have been interesting. One of the main storylines, uh, of course, for Florida and LSU, if the game would have been played, are Todd Grantham and Bo Pelini uh, not basically living up to their reputations of, uh, of being big-time defensive coordinators. And a lot of the sim similar problems is stopping passing, stopping passing offenses uh, here in the SEC. So uh, it was uh, you know, one interesting aspect to kind of look at it for the Florida defense was, you know, one of the nation's worst third down defenses was going to, was going to go against one of the nation's worst third down offenses in LSU. So something I was, was going to say something was going to have to give <laughs> if those two teams were going to play uh, Saturday, but of course there. So, yeah, as you said, you know, uh, now 
if there is a blessing for this whole COVID situation, uh, maybe you can go watch more film and and see uh, do you have the best players out there playing in the best position? And that's what that that was the main kind of message I think from Dan Mullen when we actually did get to talk to him after the game and we did get mm-hmm. to have uh, the press conference with him Monday before all this COVID stuff uh, broke loses. Look, they, they had, and, and talking to people through the program as well, they had a very, very long meeting on Sunday and Monday morning as well of what they can do to fix this. Now it stinks that it took a loss <laughs> to kind of try and figure this thing out because you could see the signs as it wasn't really there uh, from the first game of the season. But you mm-hmm. know, now I think they, they, they do have to go and look and see if they have the best players playing in the best spots. And, Dave, one of the things, being around a lot of defensive coordinators, usually with wins, it kind of masks some of the, the underlining issues. Hey, we played bad against Ole Miss, but we won. We played not to the standard of, of Florida um, against South Carolina, but we won. And like you said, that, that game against A&M – it was one of those drives right after the fumble. It was, okay, can Florida get a stop in mm-hmm. time in and time out? You saw Isaiah Spiller just grinding out four, five, six yards. And one of the themes this week on the podcast, talking to uh, both Ole Miss Evie and Kevin Hagan, it was you're not seeing that defensive front seven in the SEC that we've grown accustomed to seeing with the exception of Georgia, you're not seeing that, okay, who is the guy on the front seven to kind of take over? I know um, a guy that you're familiar with that um, played at, played at Florida, Brandon Spikes. Could you imagine him being on that sideline when A&M is just grinding out run after run after run? Yeah, and that's a question I've asked you know, on my podcast and, and talking to colleagues too is this, who, who is this leader for this Florida defense? Who is going to be the guy to step up? And nobody can come up with a name. And you, you before mm-hmm. the season, you would have thought a, a, a um, uh, an experienced player like Marco Wilson on the back end would, could be that guy. Or Jeremiah Moon, who's been around the program uh, for, for a little while. But uh, as you said, you know, and it's not just Florida, but in the SEC, it's these defensive fronts that are struggling for a league that's been known for you know these strong – fast and physical and aggressive defensive lines and, and you're not seeing it. And, and for Florida, you know, it, it's, it's not an excuse. You know, and it, it, it's some of their fault of their own for, for the way they've recruited in the last few years, but they got some guys playing out mm-hmm. of position just because of necessity right now. You, you, you've lost two defensive tackles before the season even started with uh, Elijah Conliffe having to retire medically. And then um, uh, Elijah uh, Campbell, um, uh, Oh man, I forget his first name now, but Calvary Campbell. Calvary Campbell. Yeah. Of him just not being able to, to be on the field so far. And there's some personal reasons going on there that we thought he may come back around and, and play versus LSU this weekend, uh, but he hasn't been on the field either. So that that's caused some guys to be shuffled around and guys who would normally play more outside or playing inside and guys who would play uh, defensive end or, or guys who would be that outside linebacker, buck rush in type are now having to play more you know, strong side defensive end. And if Florida's trying to shuffle pieces and figure things out there, and then you go through COVID where they probably played it a little bit too safe uh, in fall camp, trying to – because you don't know week to week Mm -hmm. who you're going to have out there. So Florida wanted to keep everybody healthy so they have options just in case guys weren't able to go because of COVID. And that's had a bleed-over effect into lack of tackling, lack of physicality. Mm -hmm. And and you're seeing it 
uh, not only at Florida, but across the SEC. So, you know, right now I think you can start moving past that a bit. You know, you, you were three weeks into the season. And at some point, uh, mm-hmm. mentally for these players, you, you gotta, you, you've got to turn it on. And it's not just as easy as flipping a switch, but, you know, there's got to right. be some accountability from the coaching staff, but also the players as well. And, Dave, one of the guys that um, I had kind of targeted coming into the season was Montreal Miller, um, that middle inside linebacker, as the guy who I said, if there was going to be a guy in that front seven that would have to kind of kind of lead everybody, if you will, it would have to be your middle linebacker. And he had what I thought was a really good game against uh, A&M, uh, nine total tackles, um, kind of going to the ball, but you just didn't see that, what I call that, that swarming uh, Florida Gator defense where it's not just one guy around the ball, it's two, three, four guys. And that's where you start to see some of those strip fumbles when you got more than one guy around the yeah, ball. Yeah, he had a really good game the first game of the season too versus Ole Miss. He was SEC Defensive Player of the Week uh, after that game. And that's just it. I, I think he does have better talent and everything that he's showing, but I just think he's getting eaten up because the defensive line can't give him any help. Uh, these offensive lines are, uh, you know, Florida's, and some of the scheme stuff too, it kind of questions me. They're, they're playing low with numbers in the box, and I, I don't get mm-hmm. it a whole lot. And it's allowing you know two offensive linemen to get past the first level and cover up these Florida linebackers, and it's it's happening over and over and over again. So not only as I say going back and when Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham have to reassess what they're doing on defense, that's something else I think they have to reassess is what what numbers and why are you showing less numbers in the box in certain opportunities that you don't really need to be seeing. I think that's hurting uh, a linebacker like Ventro Miller, who's, you know, he needs a defensive tackle, nose tackles there to, to eat up some blocks and him being able to, to kind of finish up there, uh, finish up the play uh, just because your defensive line did their job. So I think he's taking a hit uh, a, lot these, uh, a lot these last couple of weeks because I think offenses are, are identifying how Florida is playing certain uh, offensive, uh, offensive schemes and the and then letting the offensive mm-hmm. line just take over. And Dave, um, I noticed uh, on the sideline, um, Kyle Pitts, the the fantastic tight end, uh, looks like he was having some kind of issue either with his shoe or his foot. Is there any update um, as far as his health status? Was it just um, a shoe issue, or was it an issue um, a foot I, injury? I, I, I was I heard a minor foot injury, nothing to be worried about. He would have played uh, versus LSU. You could actually see uh, late in the A and M game too that he was hobbling just a little bit, but he was still out there playing uh, and, and making catches. Right. So yeah, it was just a. I think um, I even heard he might have been in a boot this past week, but everything was precautionary. It was, it was nothing. Yeah, just yeah, nothing major that he would he would have been on the field when Florida and LSU played. Dave, um, now that um, basically uh, the Florida Gators are going to have basically two weeks off before the, the big matchup with with the Georgia Bulldogs, and that A&M uh, loss uh, really kind of gave uh, Georgia what I call a mulligan against Alabama mm-hmm. this weekend to where they could afford to lose to Alabama, and it's still right there for the Bulldogs and the Gators. And I think had the the Florida Gators come out with that win, it would have absolutely put the pressure on Georgia this weekend going into Tuscaloosa as that's a must win because we can't 
um, go into that matchup with with uh, Florida already down one one game. Yes, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how it comes out. There's still some talk uh, out there that Florida and Missouri may uh, try and find a way to play um, during that Florida bye week, uh, the October third that weekend, mm-hmm. October thirty first. There's even some talk that Florida. Uh, may in Florida, Missouri may try and play that game on a Thursday or Friday. We'll we'll see. That's just kind of behind the scenes. I think every option's on the table uh, right now, and, and I'm and I'm hearing that's right. one of them. So, uh, you know, it does it doesn't look good for Florida, Missouri to play next week either. So, uh, you know, that would probably maybe push that game a week to where Florida's bye week before Georgia, uh, and, and it could happen there. So something to look out for, I think, in the next you know you know few okay. days that when we'll, we'll see what the positive tests come back for Florida. Uh, they're testing daily now to try and figure this thing out. Uh, so we'll see where it goes there. So that's definitely worth watching. You know, Florida could still play Missouri, but just on a different week. Yeah, and, and, but if that happens, the SEC's got to shuffle Missouri's schedule a little bit too. Yeah, Multiple yeah. So games, we'll right. kind of see, I think, you know, like I said, every option's on the table right now. But either way, I mean, what we knew before the season, and it was more than likely going to come down to the game in Jacksonville. And after week one, you know, everybody was falling in love with Florida mm-hmm. in that Florida offense. And then after games have been played, uh, the defense starts to worry you a bit while Georgia has the defense. It looks like they're starting to figure things out on offense, and we'll see what happens uh, with, the, with the game versus Alabama and, and how they're able to come out there. But, yeah, they, they have a mulligan there. But if they were to go out there and, and, and beat Alabama, then you, you know, if you're a Georgia fan, you got to feel really good <laughs> about your chances after that. Not only because not only you Absolutely. beat Alabama, but – you beat Alabama and Florida seems to be struggling a bit and may not be on the field for a couple of weeks. And you don't know what type of Florida team will come out of COVID uh, after that fact. And, you know, so there are a lot of storylines in the next two or three weeks and trying to figure out where exactly this Florida program will be when the two teams meet in Jacksonville. Absolutely. And Dave, just, um, your your thoughts for the the rest of the season? What are you going to be looking for and talking about on on your podcast? As far as um, what are you looking to see uh, this Florida um, team improve on, and where are some of the things that uh, this defense especially can kind of kind of sure up? Do you think you may see some? Um, personnel changes um, along with some scheme yeah, changes? Yeah, I think so. I think you will see some younger players maybe get a chance that they necessarily wouldn't have uh, gotten if uh, even, you know, if every, even if everything was just bad. But right now it's very bad. And I don't think you have many options left. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you've got to start giving some young guys some chances. It, 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 we gave a lot of credit for Todd Grantham recruiting a whole lot of versatile pieces along this offense or, or along this defense. Maybe they were too versatile. Maybe they mm-hmm. just didn't. You know, you got Amari Bernie playing linebacker. He never, he never played linebacker much before his time at Florida. Uh, Mamu Diabate, who showed great flashes at the pass rusher last year as a true freshman, they're trying to fit him in at linebacker. To me, that that whole project at linebacker has just absolutely failed behind Dentrell Miller. Florida does not have a second linebacker that can count on right now, and for whatever reason, Marco Wilson's not playing well. He, he was the guy you really thought you could be able to count on. And he just got torched in the Texas A&M game uh, there. So, yeah, I, I think you yes. know, there, there are certain things you've really got to take a look in the mirror. Like, okay, these things that we thought would work. And it, even me, coming into the season, there was an assumption that, 
hey, mm-hmm. we don't have to worry about a pass rusher. Todd Grantham's going to have a pass rusher. Well, right now, he doesn't have a consistent pass rusher. Not a, he doesn't have a Jonathan Gennard or Jabari Zuniga or, or Jakai Polite from the, from the last couple yes. of years. They don't have that right now. So they got to figure out a way to identify, to get their pass rushers out there, get them in better position, figure out what they can do at linebacker, and maybe that helps the back end a bit uh, as well. But I do think you got some young players, Travis Johnson, Jaden Hill, Chester Kimbrough, who I think deserve a lot more playing time uh, on the back end. And it's kind of like you read my mind a little bit. I was like, what can I you know, talk about on the podcast next week since there's no game? And it's like, you know <laughs> what? I mean, it, it, it sounds petty in a way. And I don't want to make it sound like a complaint, but we can, we can nitpick this offense a little bit. The offense is scoring points. It's one of the more successful offenses in the country. Mm-hmm. But there, there are things that can – they can do well, and the running game's got to get a bit get bit uh, get a bit better. They can get more explosive in the run game. They don't have a lot of big runs uh, there, so I think they can definitely take an improvement there to at least relieve some of the pressure off of Kyle Trask, and maybe he doesn't have to do it all on his own in his arm. He's proven he can do it, but there's going to become, become a game this year where maybe he he can't get you know the 400 yards a game so what we'll so there, there are things right. that they can you can nitpick on offense that, that Florida can get better at as well so that's kind of yeah that's kind of the things I'm looking for there for, for both sides of the ball in the next step for Florida if they still want to challenge for the SEC East and Dave it's funny you you absolutely read my next question because I was going to ask you about that Florida run game looking at um the numbers that I'm tracking here Florida is virtually at the tied for for um, one of the worst teams in the in the SEC as far as explosive runs, anything over a ten yard run. The Gators only have eight of those runs this season, so you're not seeing those those huge runs being being gained by the no, running backs. No, you're not. There. Uh, Damian Pierce, who's your starter, his longest run is 14 yards for the season. Malik Davis lead, leads the running back wow. with a, a long of 23. The only reason I know this because I, I was researching it today for the for the podcast. So it, it works <laughs> out really well. The, the longest run from scrimmage is the Kadarius Tony uh, end around uh, right now. I mean, right. And um, Kyle Trask has a longer run than Naquan Wright and, uh, and, and Damian Pierce. There, Malik Davis has the longest run as far as the pure running back goes. So yeah, Florida's got all the explosives are coming through the passing game. All the explosives are coming through Kyle Trask to Kyle Pitts, Kyle Trask to Kadarius Tony. So you know for the the next step for the Florida offense is to 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 get that. And the offensive line, you know, they were they were thrown under the bus last season, and rightfully so. They you know a terrible season by that offensive line last year. We've seen flashes. I mean, this year they they are performing better. Mm-hmm. But I still think they're getting beat to the point of attack so much, and that's why you're not seeing a whole lot of explosive runs from these running backs. And Dave, nobody's going to confuse Kyle Trask right. with Kyle Murray. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like I said, his 19-yard <laughs> long run, 19, 19-yard run is longer than a Naquan Wright run. And Naquan Wright, he played really well versus Texas A&M, best game of his young career, and then yes. um, uh, longer than Damian Pierce, who's your starting running back uh, right now. So that that's not right. Yeah, Kyle, if Kyle Trask is uh, has a longer rush than Damian Pierce and Naquan Wright, some things have to change and get better. And could you see, Dave, um, where um, the Florida the Florida offense could go maybe to um, 
what what um, you'll see some other teams who struggle with the run, whether you bring in a extra tight end or even an extra offensive lineman. I know I've scouted uh, Tennessee where they have a number of plays where you'll have six offensive linemen on the field at the same time, along with a blocking tight end. I know that uh, one of the knocks was on Kyle Pitts that he's not a inline blocker. He's more of an H-back. But could you see them maybe flexing out uh, Pitts and bringing in a another more inline tight end to kind of help with uh, the run game? I think Gamble more? come in and do that a bit. Uh, one reason I don't think we see it a whole lot, I think once you do that, it's probably pretty predictable. Of what you're going, of what you're going to do, you bring in that mm-hmm. kind of package, and maybe maybe it gets a little predictable. I mean, and, and, and it's kind of good to your point a little bit too. And, and with this, and I, it's, to me, I think it's also hard for this Florida run game to get into a groove. Um, the last couple games, Florida's only run about 50 plays with offense, and it's because the defense can't get off the field. So of course you got to go. You go out there and you have you feel the pressure of going out there and have to score pretty much every drive. And Florida's best chance and Florida's best chance right. of scoring is going out there and slinging that around with with Kyle Trask. And so I think if if Florida could get a little more plays and get a little more uh in a groove then I think we would see the run game a bit more. But right now with the limited plays, they feel like they have to go out there and score every time and and, and right now the best way to do that is to sling it all over the field with Kyle Trask. And just to just to kind of drop that point in, that first game against Ole Miss, uh, the Florida Gator offense, I, I um, tracked at 75 plays. And in the last two games um, versus South Carolina, only 55 plays and 57 plays against A&M. So you're right. They're basically having to score touchdowns on every single drive because they're just not getting the number of plays on offense to kind of and stay that, on the and field. that's the worry you know when, when you go and look at who you have to play the rest of the season i mean georgia's gonna you know what their game plan is going to be already <laughs> i mean you go and look at that absolutely right, well fine you know if we know florida has trouble uh you know um running the ball we'll 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 man up and we'll stop try and stop Kyle Trask and we'll limit their possessions we can run the ball we know we can run the ball with the offensive line we got and, and the way that Florida mm-hmm. defense is playing you know the possessions are for, for Georgia going to be go out there and put a four five six minute drive together and keep that Florida offense on the sideline and that's kind of what happened in the game last year uh to, 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 to tell you the truth and then you look at later later in the season when Florida's got to play Kentucky and Tennessee back to back you know, that's going to be the, the same game plan for those teams as well. So, you know, Florida, if Florida, and most of it is, you know, it's not, and don't get me wrong, another nitpick about the offense, if you want to say, they got to help finish better too. I mean, Florida had a chance to go win that game versus Texas A&M and, and had a fumble. Uh, so, you know, there, there are things that they can do to, to stay on the field a, a bit better late in games. But like I said, that's nitpicking uh, for right now. The, the, the offenses have done right. enough. Uh, the, the, especially in the A&M game to win the game, yeah, you, but your defense lost it for you. So, um, But that's the thing. You go and look at some of the teams you got to play, you know the strategy of those teams are going to come out there, run the ball down your throat, eat up the clock, and keep that offense on the sideline. Mm-hmm. The best defense sometimes it has got to be your offense. And, and basically, um, like you said, um, the Florida defense has been on the field 56 more snaps than the Florida offense. So that's definitely something where your offense can help out, 
help out your defense by limiting the amount of snaps that your defense has to face. Dave, wrapping up here, um, any final thoughts as far as I know we, we're going to stay tuned as far as uh, the schedule change? Let the listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and yeah, everybody your, uh, can follow podcast. me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC and Gators Breakdown at Gators Breakdown. Uh, and then uh, find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown or your favorite podcast platform out there. Uh, and YouTube as well. The video version li- lives on YouTube. So if, if there's any way you could think of getting Gators Breakdown, it's out there. So. <laughs> well, Dave, I know we'll be uh, hopefully reaching back out to you um, right before the uh, showdown game with Georgia. And can't thank you I again, thank you my much. friend, for coming on. Hey, that was Gator Dave of uh, Gators Breakdown. You can catch him on all the platforms as he just mentioned. Our next game is Kentucky at Tennessee. And a special hello to our friends Clint and Glenn. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Summer. In this matchup between Kentucky and Tennessee, um, I said that I felt like Tennessee failed its midterms uh, last week uh, going against uh, Georgia, kind of measuring where they were as a program. This week will be how do they bounce back? Um, do they bounce back the same way A&M bounced back after failing their midterms against Alabama and beating Florida? This is a good opportunity to find out where this Tennessee program is um, as they try to rebuild and get more experience. Jared Garantano did not have a great second half against Georgia, uh, did not handle the blitz pressure at all. Can Kentucky get that kind of heat on Jarrett in this ball game? Possible. If they do, um, Kentucky could pull off a huge uh, win there in Knoxville, especially if Tennessee's head is still thinking about the Georgia game last week instead of thinking about the Kentucky game that they'll be playing on Saturday. Our next game is Auburn at South Carolina. Thanks, Summer. Uh, Bo Nix has not progressed as a quarterback. And I think uh, saying that may be an understatement. Bo Nix right now of all the SEC quarterbacks ranks dead last in completions at 50, 56.8%. He's near the bottom in yards uh, passing per game. He's 12th, um, only ahead of Kentucky's Terry Wilson and Vandy's uh, Ken Steele's at 199 yards per game. He's also at the bottom at uh, yards per pass attempt, passing touchdowns. Um, he, he's at the bottom of all of those key stats. So Kimbo Nix um, and this Chad Morris slash Gus Malzahn offense figure out what they're not doing to help this um, young quarterback develop in his second full season of starting and going to Columbia facing Will Muschamp. This is going to be a huge test for this Auburn Tiger offense in this ballgame. Our next game is Texas A&M visiting Mississippi State. Let me give a shout out to our good friend and former Texas A&M quarterback, David Walker. If you have not done so already, head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of his book. I'll tell you when you're good. And somewhere like we just mentioned in the uh, last breakdown, Texas A&M absolutely passed um, their their next test after um, losing horribly to Alabama, getting a huge win uh, against the Florida Gators. We talked about that with Gator Dave and what he saw from uh, that matchup. 
this game boils down to this for me. And I'll say it again as I said it last week. If the Texas A&M defense rushes three and drops eight in the coverage, they should beat Mississippi State. Um, sources are telling me that K.J. Costello, the quarterback for Mississippi State, after having that um, historic game against uh, LSU in week one, if he comes out and struggles in this ballgame, he will be benched. And this won't be just a, a quarter or a half move like it was last week. This will be a permanent change. So that is something to look out for in this ballgame. But for me, it's not about which quarterback plays for Mississippi State. It's all about what kind of defense does Texas A&M, Texas A&M plays in this ballgame. If they follow the last two games um, that Mississippi State uh, offense has faced, Texas A&M should come out of here with a win. Uh, great job last week by Kellen Mond. Great job last week, uh, week by the running back Isaiah Spiller. And you have to give Jimbo credit for um, changing up his, his DNA, wanting to throw the ball as much as he does, and absolutely letting uh, Spiller run wild on that Florida Gators defense. Let's see if he sticks with that same game plan this week. Thank you, Kenneth. After this commercial break, we will be back to finish the rest of the games on Saturday in the SEC. Welcome back everyone as we finish out the final games on the Saturday slate. This next game game is being sponsored by the Rebel Walk. For the best coverage of all things Ole Miss please visit their site and follow them on Twitter. Our next game finds Ole Miss at Arkansas. And a special hello to our good friend Ole Miss Evie. You can follow Evie on Twitter at Ole Miss Evie and her fantastic site at the Rebel Walk. Also, hello to our dear friends Ms. Donna and Ms. Kathy, who are listening and want to hear your analysis. For this game breakdown, Kenneth was joined by our dear friend Ole Miss Evie to give her thoughts on the game. Hers is that interview with Kenneth and the angelic tones of Ole Miss Evie. Ladies and gentlemen, I am pleased to be joined by my good friend Ole Miss Evie. We're going to take a quick look at the um, Alabama Ole Miss game from last week, and then we're going to look ahead to the upcoming game for the Ole Miss Rebels, um, who will be uh, taking on the Arkansas Razorbacks. So, Evie, welcome in, and thank you, my friend, for uh, coming back on. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. I appreciate you having me. My pleasure. Hey, Evie, um, so last weekend in Oxford, Mississippi, a, a Big 12 uh, game broke out in the <laughs> SEC. <laughs> yes, it did. A funny thing happened on the way to an SEC game. We got turned around somehow. <laughs> and, and woke up and it was a Big 12 shootout. Um, <laughs> going into the game, and, and we talked about this last week on the podcast, how these two quarterbacks and these two offenses were just absolutely lighting up the SEC. And did they put on a show um, last weekend? Um, those quarterbacks just absolutely did a tremendous job. And like I said, that won't be the last time that Alabama tears up somebody's defense, and the same can be said for Ole Miss. Oh, my goodness. You know, we had in our uh, pregame article about the two quarterbacks, you know, we talked about that. Our resident quarterback expert, David Walker, who is a senior writer for us, wrote about those two and said, you're going to be seeing some high-quality quarterback play at Ball Hemingway Saturday, and he was not mistaken. 
Well, if anybody knows about high level quarterback play, it would be <laughs> it would be David. So, um, Evie, just talk about um, from the Ole Miss perspective, um, how are Ole Miss fans and and the team uh, coming out of this game with Alabama? Um, putting up the kind of numbers that they did against that Alabama Crimson Tide defense? Um, I think, if anything, you know, it's funny because it, even Coach Kiffin said after the game, he said when the players, when they were when they were leaving the, the field and, and going to the tunnel, he said, we, you know, our, our fans gave us a standing ovation. And he said, I was confused. We lost. And he said, I, I do appreciate the fans, but, you know, we lost the game. But um, I think what he said was, you know, we let one get away. You know, we had we had the, the best team in the country. That's who he thinks is the best team in the country on the ropes. And we just couldn't get it done. And so that's a shame. So um, I think that it's a far cry from last year's game or the year before game yes. <laughs> or the year before that. So I think that Rebel fans, you know, again, definitely were very, very happy to be in the game. Of course, neither of our fans on either side were happy with our defensive performances. However, that being said, the offense put on quite a show, and it's kind of like uh, Royce Newman, one of our offensive linemen, said uh, in an inter interview with us this week. He said, you know, I think our offense is probably fun for fans to watch. <laughs> so I, I think Royce is definitely right about that, both of them. I was going to say, Evie, here, here are just the two numbers from, from both quarterbacks in that game. They both went 49 for 60 and 782 yards, passing four touchdowns and zero interceptions. Just a, an offensive show. Mm -hmm. and, and talking with some Alabama fans um, just were completely impressed with uh, – the job that Coach Kiffin and um, the quarterback Matt Corral uh, did in that game. Even we also talked about the 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 combination of thunder and lightning finally mm -hmm. getting going in the same game, and that's <laughs> Jerion Ely and Snoop Connor. Talk about their performance in that ball game. Oh my gosh! I think Ely was like uh, ran 19 times for 122 yards and two touchdowns, and uh, Snoop I think had a career high in attempts for him, 21, and also rushing yards, 128, and had uh, two touchdowns. So um, I, I think it was a just of you know we've I'm sure you and I have, have tweeted about it this week, but they became uh, you know the the first what the first time that Nick Saban a Nick Saban defense has given up two 100 plus yards to two two running backs in a I game. think Evie the step was um the first time at, at Alabama Nick Saban had allowed a quarterback to go for over 350 yards mm -hmm. two different running backs to go over 120 yards and two oh. wide receivers in the same game went over 140 yards first time oh, in Nick Saban first time wow. Nick Saban um that I was able to find where all of those stats were hit by, by Ole Miss. And it wasn't just uh, the wide receivers. Evie, let's talk about that fantastic wide um, that fantastic tight end for Ole Miss and just the job that he did. Oh, Kenny Yaboa. I mean, he's a, a big six foot four, 240 pound tight end from Allentown, Pennsylvania. He's a, a grad transfer from uh, Temple. He joined Ole Miss for spring workouts, but as you know, we had no spring workouts really other than I guess just kind of on your own. But um, he recorded the most yards ever 
by an Ole Miss tight end versus Bama. Wow. And we have had some good tight ends. We've some very Austin good tight Knox ends. And we've had Evan Ingram. And yes. So um, he had, uh, I believe, seven catches for 181 yards and two touchdowns and leads the nation in receiving yards per game by a tight end and is number two nationally uh, in receiving TDs by a tight end. So he's he's doing some work out there. I was going to say, and Evie, one of the things where where I I, I kind of drew a circle a, around a play in this game was what I call a tight end delay, and this was a play that I haven't seen Lane Kiffin run um, his entire time coaching, and that speaks to Yaboa's wow. um, tight um, talents. Is basically on that sixty-eight yard pass, it was a where he delayed and faked the block for it looks like about two counts. Uh, let the defense kind of draw up, and he just runs straight down the seam, and Matt hits him on a dead run, and it was off to the races. And you saw his uh, speed in that in that run, where nobody from the Alabama secondary, which has some pretty decent athletes decent back there, speed, yes. and, and <laughs> nobody was able to close the gap until he got to the end zone. And talking to some guys um, in the NFL, while everybody loved Pitts. Um, Kenny Yaboa is making himself a lot of money in this Ole Miss offense. Well, I'm really, like I said, I'm really happy for him. I think he's on the year so far. I think uh, in the first three games, he has 15 receptions for 355 yards, and his average is 23.7. And that's coming from a tight end. (laughs) Yes, exactly, exactly. So um, I think that it speaks to him. I mean, he, he made it clear that when he got here, he, you know, in January, he worked hard and he, he says, I, I worked really hard. I wanted to earn the trust of my teammates. You know, I'm coming in um, from Temple and he said, I, you know, I got here. I, I, I know that SEC athletes are bigger and faster And he's seen that, you know, the first three games. But, boy, you couldn't tell it by his performance. He certainly fits in well. And I would say he's earned the the trust of his teammates. And, Evie, you're right. Looking at his uh, yard per reception, he is number two in the SEC, only behind Alabama's John Meachie uh, as far as yards per reception. And, like you said, you guys have had some pretty good tight ends there at at Ole Miss. So, (laughs) um, Evie? We'll, we'll as as both coaches uh, kind of have hinted to, we're going to burn the tape as far as what both defenses um, did oh, in that yeah. ball game. Yeah, um, throw the trash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and turn the page towards um, Arkansas. Um, Evie, what what are your your just early thoughts about this this Arkansas team and what is kind of the the game plan you see as far as Ole Miss kind of putting together to take on old um, take on Arkansas this weekend? Well, I think um, as as you know you you pointed out, and I think quite brilliantly, expect Arkansas to use a, a similar game plan as Kentucky did against the Rebels. Um, Kentucky ran the ball fifty six times for four hundred and eight yards. So. Um, you know, look for look for Arkansas's running back. You know, see see what kind of a workload he gets in that game. Um, I think Ole Miss. It's going to be interesting. Couple things here defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, Momo Sonogo uh, had been a starter, phenomenal player, leader, everything. Then he got injured last year, and then Jacquez Jones stepped in. 
into Momo's spot. Did a fantastic job. I think finished second in number of tackles on the team. Anyway, well, this year, Momo and Jacquez have been rotating in and out a lot. And uh, in the Kentucky game, Jacquez suffered a concussion. And so Momo played all against Bama. And afterwards, he said, you know, I went from kind of rotating in and being fresh to all of a sudden, you know, I'm out there for 75 plays. And I'm sure there's mm-hmm. no player who's going to bemoan being out there the whole time. But he said, you know, team player that he is, he said, we missed we missed having Jacquez. So I look for Jacquez from everything I'm hearing. He should be back against Arkansas. And that will be very helpful, um, especially, you know, if they are kind of leaning the way that, that we're thinking. Um, I think we've talked about Felipe Franks, the, the transfer in. Um, I think, you know, he's going to look to what Davion Warren and Mike Woods will be his primary primary targets and uh, as you've said Warren averages 22 yards a catch so we got to keep our eye on him but I think you know um, one interesting thing I don't know if you saw today where Lane Kiffin in his Wednesday Zoom press conference with us said that after three or four weeks of zero COVID cases now all of a sudden we've been hit so um I have heard through the grapevine that some of them are on the defensive line. I don't know that. I don't know that for a fact. I have not verified that, but I have mm-hmm. at least heard that from one source. So that defensive line does not need any, <laughs> they don't need any problems. Um, that any, that any, is a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I'll uh, keep folks updated on that as I learn more, but I do think that, you know, you've got your you've got your players who test positive, but then you've got uh, the players who are, you know, they call it close contact trace, right. which, you know, you you've tested negative, but you you have been in close contact. So we got to quarantine you. So it's just, you know, welcome. Welcome to 2020. I guess. Um, so but anyway, I, I just think that, you know, Kiffin has said that. um I mean, between us, I mean, Arkansas has a balanced attack. I think they've had 107 rushing attempts and 97 pass attempts on the season, but most of their success has come through the air. So, um, you know, hopefully we'll be used to uh, the tempo, the, you know, the tempo offense there. You would think that our defense would be a little bit used to that. <laughs> so we'll I was going to say, you, you practice it quite a bit, and yes. uh, Evie, just a just – a, um, kind of zero in on your point there. Um, they are literally a balanced offense, um, everybody. Uh, Arkansas has ran um, in three games 107 run plays and 105 uh, pass plays, but most of their production has come through the passing game. Uh, 74% of their yards have come uh, via the air, and most of that coming last week against that horrible defense uh, that's there in Auburn right now. So oh, goodness. I would I would expect um, – if I'm if I'm a Rebels fan this week, uh, what I would look for is for Lane to be a little bit more aggressive in the first half and try to protect that defense by getting off to um, a bigger lead in the first half against um, against Arkansas. 
I, I agree. And I think, um, you know, we throw another little wrinkle in here when uh, the Razorback offensive coordinator is Kendall Bryles, who was Kiffin's offensive coordinator at Florida Atlantic in 20, 2017 mm-hmm. and also coached uh, alongside our offensive line coach, Randy Clements, last year at Florida State. And Kendall Bryles and Jeff Lebby. Uh, our offensive coordinator, our brother-in-laws. So, you know, I'm some interesting, a, some interesting uh, subplots yeah, in this ball game. Yeah, yeah. So now, the funny thing about that is, you know, Kiffin was asked about that this week, and he said that's not even an issue. It is what it is. You've got people all over everywhere who are, you know, friends with, coached under, related to, you know, other people. So I do. I will. I will tell you. I really like that about Kiffin. He doesn't seem to make any excuses, at least from you know from what I've seen from him so far. I mean, he's the first one to say it is what it is. And you ask him, did you see any bright spots on your defense, you know, that you could build on? And he, he says no. <laughs> you know? So um, anyway, I, I do appreciate that. From him. I was going to say very, very direct by Lane. And Evie, while you were while you were talking right there, I looked at um, Arkansas stats in the in the first half as for scoring. Mm-hmm. And they are among they are amongst the, the worst in the SEC. Uh wow. they've only scored 33 points in the first half. Uh seven against Georgia, 14 against uh Mississippi State, and 12 against Auburn. So with this Ole Miss offense, and like I said, they're going to absolutely do damage on a lot of teams' defensive stats. Um with Arkansas not being able to score early early on in the ball game, I think that's a great opportunity for for Lane to to really open up that offense like he did against Alabama, and not have to worry about giving up sixty two uh, right. the way that the way that um, Alabama was able to score. Right, I think so. I think you know it's funny when uh, David and I were getting ready to watch the game against Alabama. He said, "You know, if you could get out to a fourteen-point lead, you know, then you have a shot." And mm-hmm. uh, of course, you know that didn't happen. But I mean, we saw exactly to your point. You know, I mean, when you score and then Alabama Alabama matches it, and then you just back and forth, back and forth, and you just have that pressure on you to score every time. And I think that it definitely, definitely would benefit the Rebels if they could jump out on Arkansas early. Now, that being said, Ole Miss and Arkansas have had some crazy, <laughs> crazy, just a few. yeah, crazy ones just in the years I've been covering them. And I think uh, last time I, they played in Arkansas in 2018, um, I was, it, they actually played in Little Rock and mm-hmm. um, Ole Miss had to have a 97 yard drive in the waning moments of the fourth quarter, you know, to score, to go ahead, which they did. Jordan Tomlin led them on that. They score. And then Arkansas got the ball back. And if it weren't not for a Zedrick Woods interception, you know, they were driving. So, and of course we all, all rebels will remember fourth and 25. I was just going to say, Evie, is there a Uh, chance that we may uh, see that clip uh, uh, once or twice during the game on Saturday? Yes. Yes. I would be willing to bet we see that. <laughs> and the game there, there's a fan base in Tuscaloosa that that were were big Razorback fans that oh might I, win. that that I'm absolutely sure that they were you know that's uh that that was something else that I that's just one of those ones where you just shake your head and wonder how did that happen I think the Another another time, I mean, of course, it, it this one, the 4th and 25 didn't involve an injury, but the, mm-hmm. probably one of the, that 4th and 25 was one of the worst times 
to be an Ole Miss Rebel. And I think um, in modern day time, I think when uh, Ole Miss was playing Auburn and bought Hemingway and Laquan Treadwell scored to go ahead, the points were put on the scoreboard. He yes. broke his, you know, ankle hideously in that on that play. They reviewed it said it wasn't a touchdown I still think it was a touchdown but wasn't a touchdown oh by the way you it wasn't a touchdown you lose and one of your top players is carted off the field in tears so that was a miserable time so let's hope we don't Ole Miss has had some bad luck with with the officials not 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 going the way of of Ole Miss fans and I've gotten a chance to talk to a lot of Ole Miss fans over the years and that's one that Ole Miss fans still haven't forgiven the referees for. No, you know, no, that was a, that was the year. I mean, Ole Miss was really ranked high that year. I want to say that was when Ole Miss and Mississippi State were both on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And I mean, it was just a, you know, it was a, a really great time. And that was just, you know, that is the only time, and I probably shouldn't even say this, but I did not even go to the post game press conference or interviews because I thought, I mean, I I was like everybody else. The stadium was silent. Leaving the Mm -hmm. stadium, people were silent. I mean, it just, it just sucks the life out of you to see any player hurt. But, you know, Laquan is such a great player and really nice, nice guy. And it was just, you know, it was brutal. Plus you just lost to Auburn, you know, when you thought you had it won. So there just was all kind of, it would have been bad even if, even if we won, but you know, it was just doubly bad. So. But having the game ripped away from you. Yeah. So SEC officials are just not my, not my friend. I mean, I, you know, we could do a whole episode on SEC (laughs) officiating. In Ole Miss. So. Yeah. Much less everywhere else yeah so evie um what do you um now we talked about the 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 breakdown of the game and um let's just take a look um what what are Ole Miss fans um uh, as far as uh lane coming in and everybody's on the lane train <laughs> um what the what is the outlook for for Ole Miss going into the rest of the season after this ball game you got um you got looks yeah. like Auburn, then Vanderbilt, and then the bye week. Yeah, I tell you what, you know, we were looking at the schedule earlier, and I think barring any uh, COVID situation where you're missing a bunch of players or, uh, you know, critical key injuries between now and then, um, I think Auburn, that game is winnable to me. I mean, I think that game is winnable. I, I could see really and truly – um, I think Ole Miss will have a chance in every one of their remaining games. I mean, I'm Absolutely. not, you know, I think that if you're looking, like you say, Auburn, Vandy, South Carolina, A&M, Mississippi State, and LSU, and that LSU game looks different than it did, you know, going into the season. When Mississippi, the schedule first came out. That's Absolutely. right. Mississippi State, my goodness. Did you know Mississippi State has thrown a pick six in every game this season? Evie, I mean, that that was a stat that jumped out at me, and uh, talking to um, talking to a source that that covers uh, Mississippi mm-hmm. State, they be they may be making a quarterback change. Um, very I've heard quickly. that also. They may be having Will Rogers in at quarterback. I've heard the exact same thing over KJ Costello. So, um, and it's hard to argue when you throw. I think Costello in his uh, last two games have thrown right? uh, 
a total of seven or eight interceptions. I, I was going to say, I think he had four in the last game. And he then, did have four in the last game. And, of course, Will Rogers, I think, is the one who had the pick six. So, I'm not – Will <laughs> did have the pick six. So. so, you know, it's anybody's guess. But I'm looking at these teams and I'm thinking Auburn's winnable, Vandy's winnable, South Carolina's winnable, uh, LSU's winnable, State's winnable, A&M. I absolutely think that, you know, again, it's going to – it's going to be a, it's going to have to be a high scoring affair um, in College Station for the Rebels to win, but I absolutely think that they can win that game too. And, and again, that's given everybody's situation today, and hopefully COVID doesn't take us all out. You know, so I was going to say, and we've already had two games canceled this weekend, right. and uh, we're hoping that um, for the health and safety of all, the, all all those kids that are playing, that there are no further outbreaks. For, for sure. Oh my goodness. I totally agree. It's, uh, you know, it's scary. I mean, and people can say all they want to, Oh, kids are, you know, if they get it, they're healthy and not even going to know, you know, I don't know. I mean, I just don't think everybody knows everything that there is about this virus. So yes, ma'am. Um, it's still, it still scares me. I'm wearing my mask and social distancing. So same here. <laughs> Evie, let everybody know where they can find you and find all of the great, um, uh, work that you're doing with the Rebel Walk. Okay, thank you for, for that chance. Um, they can find us at therebelwalk.com and they can follow me at Ole Miss Evie on Twitter and uh, the Rebel Walk at the Rebel Walk on Twitter and we are also on Facebook and Instagram. So we would love to have folks follow us. Well, Evie, after uh, talking with some of the listeners of the podcast, they absolutely uh, wanted to hear the angelic tones of old oh. Miss Evie. So <laughs> I said that it was a must that I uh, reach out to my friend and get you back on, get you back on the podcast. So wow. I can't thank you enough, my friend, for coming back on. And I know that um, you will definitely be watching the game uh, with Arkansas and look forward to all the uh, great information that you and the Rebel Walk will be putting out after the game. Well, thank you so much again it's my honor to be here i'm really excited and appreciated and we'll come back anytime you'll have me evie i I would definitely want to have you back on Um, i know we talked about um having you on the rest of the season and if your schedule permits would definitely love to have you back on it does so i look forward to it Evie, thank you so much for coming back on. And ladies and gentlemen, that was the angelic tones of Ole Miss Evie. Like I said, give her a follow on Twitter at Ole Miss Evie. Of course, give her site a follow the Rebel Walk. Uh, Nobody does a better job of covering all things Ole Miss than Evie and the Rebel Walk. And look forward to um, following her on Twitter and seeing all the great information that she and the Rebel Walk will be putting out for not only this game, but the rest of the season for the Ole Miss Rebels. Evie, thank you once again, and I know we'll be talking really soon. We will. Thanks very much. All right. Bye-bye. Our final game of the week is Georgia at Alabama. Also, let me say hello to our friends in the Houndstooth crew. I know that the crew and all our listeners are looking forward to this matchup. Kenneth, this is our game of the week in the SEC, so let's take a deeper look into the matchup. Kenneth was joined by the Georgia Dog of the Southern Gentleman Sports Show to provide the Georgia take on the game and Kevin Hagan to look at the Tide's keys to victory in this matchup. You can hear Kevin weekly on the Bill King Show on Nashville Sports Radio WNSR. Here are both of those interviews. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm pleased to be joined by my good friend, the Georgia Dog. You can hear him on 850 to Ticket. 
uh, breaking down all of the SEC with the Southern Gentleman Sports Show. Georgia Dog, it's a pleasure to have you on, my friend, and let's jump right into it. Good to be with you, Kenneth. Glad to have good to be on with you. Hey, my friend, thank you so much. That Georgia defense put on an absolute clinic uh, last week against Tennessee, uh, basically shutting down uh, that Tennessee offense, forcing punts and turnovers. And going into the weekend, I said three things had to happen for Tennessee to have a shot of beating Georgia. They had to run the ball for over 150 yards. They were going to have to get at least two rushing touchdowns, and they could not afford to have any turnovers in that ball game. Well, we know that none of those things happened. Uh, they were held, and we know the uh, sacks come off the uh, rushing yards, but the final totals were minus one um, in the rush category. Uh, they had no um, rushing touchdowns and just three horrible turnovers. And going against this Georgia defense, you cannot have any turnovers, and they had three in that ball game. Yeah, and you know when you look at, and I get the, I get asked the question a lot. Uh, Kirby was actually from my hometown. I watched Kirby grow up, uh, did radio for his high school there in Bainbridge, Georgia. But Kirby's uh, always been a defensive coach. As you can look, uh, if you look at twenty four seven talent evaluator that just just dropped here the last few days, Georgia's got the number one talent in the country. Mm-hmm. Now, if there's not a lot of difference in one and seven or one and eight I, I mean you know their rankings but there's not that much difference right but when you look at the 16 five stars on the georgia roster 10 of them are five-star defensive ball players mm-hmm. and you know you you got a lot of redshirt freshmen sophomores uh some redshirt sophomores playing they didn't opt out they stayed um one of the reasons I think that the Georgia defense is one of the few in the SEC that has excelled right now is because 37 of those kids played 100 snaps last year. That's right. So they all had a chance to play. Now, you're right. What I saw in Tennessee, uh, Jerry Garantano came out first half. He's 11 to 13, mm-hmm. two touchdowns. Georgia was running a base defense, not a lot of pressure. Right. And, and what Georgia wants to do is to get you in a situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Tennessee had run, uh, you know, Georgia had run a lot of plays in the first half. They knew they were wearing down Tennessee's defense. So they come out in the second half. Kirby, same thing he did to Baker Mayfield in the Rose Bowl. They, yes, Baker was 9.1 yards the first half, 1.9 the second half. But he started sending the pressures. Uh, mm-hmm. Tennessee couldn't block them. Uh, the turnovers that Jared had. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, two of those were blindside hits where he was stripped. They were. Yeah, and the one pass he threw over the middle, he was contested. A guy was on him uh, as he threw it, so he didn't get everything he wanted on the ball. Mm-hmm. But I thought Tennessee came out with a very – you know, you, you can tell Jeremy Pruitt's coaching that football team because when they get hit in the mouth, they want to hit you back now. And I think what happened in that ball game, Georgia out them. They had too much right. depth for them. Uh, but I'm telling you, I was I was uh, pleasantly surprised at how well Tennessee, how physical they were. And, and I think they're a couple of years away. But, you know, Kenneth, I've said it before. You, you don't plant a tomato tree and pick tomatoes tomorrow. That, that is absolutely right. Yeah. And one of the things I, I said last weekend was 
and, and we're dealing with the school year here. It was midterms. It was kind of Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt's midterm uh, to kind of see where they were as a program. And in the SEC East, the, the measuring stick right now is the Georgia Bulldogs. And like you said, first half, Tennessee wanted to go, you know, 22 on 22. But once you got into that right right after halftime, you saw Kirby say, okay, look, we got to send, we got to send literally the dogs after Garantano. We can't let him be comfortable in the pocket. And they just exposed that weakness of the, the blocking uh, pass blocking for, for Tennessee and just really did a fantastic job and hats off to Kirby for, for spotting, um, something in, in their, in their blocking system and just absolutely exposed it. Yeah. Because, you know, they had five, five star kids or five, or, you know, maybe four, five stars and a four star. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But obviously what we learned from offensive lines, Kenneth, uh, the closer you are to the ball, the mm-hmm. longer it takes to jail um, right. quarterback center guards, tackles, uh, running backs are easy. To, you can take a freshman running back and put him in, a wide receiver. But mm-hmm. the closer you are to that football, the more you have to be in sync with everything. And right. I just think that their offensive line – now, I would I don't know that I'd want to play that offensive line in late November. Right. You know, because I think they grow and they continue to get better. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, like I said, Tennessee came out. Jeremy had a good game plan. Uh Georgia did not want to get beat over the top, but the kid Palmer, two great catches, and, and Garantano yes. put it on the mark. So, but you know, Tennessee mm-hmm. never won on a long drive. Uh, so mm-hmm. that, that's kind of the thing that that Georgia wants to force you into. Uh, they did it in both games against Alabama, the national title game and the SEC title game. Uh, that's correct. The last play of the national title game, obviously, but they, they don't want to get you. They don't want. They want you to have. Georgia wants to get you in the red zone and take the mm-hmm. speed away, everything you have, compress right. the field down and make you kick field goals. That's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And we see that with, with uh, the defense of Georgia. The, the Georgia defense, and this was a stat that absolutely jumped off the page at me, they've only faced two red zone opportunities on defense. And that was both against Auburn, and they both in both times they forced Auburn to kick field goals when Auburn had the opportunity to stay in that ball game if they could have punched it in. But credit to the Georgia defense for blowing their backs up and saying you're not getting it in the end zone. And you're right, they they compressed that that field and forced you to really dig deep into your playbook if you're going to get seven against yeah. them. Because you, you look at this Alabama game coming up and you got Waddle. And uh, you know Devontae Smith. Uh, mm-hmm. gonna, Georgia, it's going to be hard to get behind Georgia. It's going to be hard to get the long pass. Now, if you look at uh, the Ole Miss game, I think four passes. Uh, they had like four hundred something yards passing. Two hundred forty of that came on four plays. It so did. Th- that was the thing under Tua. It was the thing under Jalen. Jalen was a much better deep thrower than he was a mid-range thrower. But mm-hmm. Tua liked to throw the 10-yard slant and waddle and Judy and those guys take it 80. Now, he could – obviously, Tua could throw it anywhere he wanted to. Right. But that was the that was their mentality. And we saw Damian Harris start this last week running the ball more. 
And mm-hmm. that's what Georgia wants to do in this game is to is to make Alabama drive the football. We, we're not going to let you get over the top. We're not going to fall for, behind by 14 because Waddle gets loose on an 80-yarder. You know, right. can you play this defense on a 15-18 play drive? And, that, and that's kind of what they did to Tennessee. And Georgia Dog, let's let's jump right into the 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 the. I think it's going to be the 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 first matchup between these two teams. I, I fully expect uh, to see these two teams going head to head in the Georgia Dome for for all the chips. And that loss by Florida against the Aggies really gave Georgia basically a mulligan in this ball game to where Georgia doesn't need to win this game. They want to win it, but they don't. They don't have to win it because Florida basically gave them a throwaway game. Yeah, um, and and the same thing goes for Alabama too, Kenneth. Uh, right. You know, because both of these teams are going to be favored in every game after this. Uh, if you mm-hmm. got Georgia and Alabama sitting there with one, with let's say one of them's got a loss and one doesn't. Let's say Alabama wins this one and Georgia wins the SEC title game. Alabama's getting in because they they lost to a top one or two team. Same thing, right. same thing with Georgia. If they lose uh, this game and beat Alabama, then Georgia or, or, or to win this one and lose the SEC title game, they're going to get in too because the Pac-12 is <laughs> not going to be a, a threat to take a spot. So right. it's it, it's a great game. Uh, it's going to be one of those classics. But whichever team – see, what I think happens, and I've said this since May, mm-hmm. it would not surprise me for Georgia to lose this ball game. And, and if they do, I think they win the SEC title game. And the reason mm-hmm. I say that is this. Uh, with Stetson Bennett, and of course, to start with, it was Jamie Newman. Then it was JT Daniels. Then it was DeJuan Mathis. Well, now we're down to Stetson. Right. Stetson's done a real good job of Jake Fromm part two, uh, a little faster than Jake was, but not even. And, and Jake didn't have a, a strong arm either, but Stetson's not quite as strong as Jake's was. But mm-hmm. I, I just knew that coming in to this Alabama game with Mike and you, a new system, uh, a new quarterback, that this offense won't gel until late in the year. Right. And I think that for Georgia to maximize their offensive potential, then we've got to see JT Daniels. Now, if you go back, <clears throat> excuse me, you go back and see the, Touched the, the long pass to Curious Jackson, I think it was in the Auburn game. He had the right. right on the ball, almost caught it sitting down uh, mm-hmm. because he couldn't get the ball out far enough for him. We thought Matt, right. Matt Landers on a breakout route, uh, couldn't get the ball to him. Uh, your, your best offensive weapon has caught eight passes, and that's George Pickens. You, you, you know, that that's 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 your Jerry Judy. That's your guy that is is your number one receiver. That's your Jalen Waddle mm-hmm. on, on Georgia's team. And oh, exactly. To not have him a big part of the offense up to now is, is twofold. One, uh, it's bad, but you're three and zero. Oh. And two, you you wonder sometimes if Kirby had played a little cat and mouse with Nick going into this game too. I, I, there again, I don't know. And and I'm glad you and I'm glad you brought up uh, Kiarius Jackson um, because breaking down this this game, he is he is the one that I'm looking at if 
and and you see this with quarterbacks when when they've worked with a guy um where they get comfortable you saw it you saw it with uh Tua he was comfortable with Judy if if if, if it was one of those I got to have it plays he was looking to Judy and and I'm seeing that same kind of connection uh with Bennett and, and Jackson there he's looking for Jackson when he's when he's wanting to take a deep shot it's Jackson and not and not Pickens he's looking to with that first read. Absolutely. And, you know, what? two guys that I think you, you that we have to pay attention to in this ballgame is a, a transfer tight end out of Florida State, McGinty, that you know, mm-hmm. just got healthy, had a couple catches in the game uh, Saturday against Tennessee, uh, and Darnell Washington. Now, Darnell Washington was the number two athlete in the country last year, five-star kid, 6'8". Mm-hmm. 260 uh, can block as a tight end, but he was actually listed as an athlete. Right. I, th- I think because in the game against Ole Miss, Ole Miss wide receivers, on, neither one of them caught, caught passes for over 30 yards. It was the guys out of the backfields and the tight end that killed them. The running back side of the backfield over the middle, and Alabama never adjusted to it. Now, I can bet you that Nick Saban's working on that part of his defense every day this week. And I think, and credit to Lane for 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 knowing, knowing the tendencies of Nick, especially on third downs, where he said they're going to look to the sidelines and they're going to try to get all the adjustments. And Lane was like, "That's when we go hurry up. That's when we 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 force the force the issues." And you're right that that delayed what I call delayed tight end go route, um, where. The Ole Miss tight end just basically runs runs a seam route and, and goes for I think it was seventy yards on that touchdown. It was a delay where it looked like he was blocking, paused for two counts, and and then he releases. I would expect Munkin to to kind of snip that tape and say, "Hey, this is something that I got to put in my pocket to use on on Saturday." Yeah. And and I, I, you're exactly right. And and Todd Munkin has done a really good job. If you look at the throws that Stetson Bennett has made and you look, you break the game down and you watch every completion, he is mm-hmm. extremely good on third and more than 10. 90% of the throws he's made on third and more than 10, he's completed. Mm-hmm. He's completed 70, 72% of his passes on third down. But if you look at, the throws that he is making, the receivers, they're very few that are contested. They're wide open. Right. They're, they're four or five yards between, you know, the receiver and the defensive back. That's not going to be the case this week. And I think for Georgia, like I said earlier, for Georgia to reach their potential, it's going to take either a JT Daniels or a Carson Beck to play quarterback at Georgia to take, to take mm-hmm. advantage of because because right now everybody's playing you on a forty yard field. They're, they're, they're not worried about right. you going deep. So what are your what are your three keys for if Georgia is to 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 go into Tuscaloosa because I call this another one of those midterm games where we won't learn everything as far as the final exam, but we'll kind of get a little bit better indication of where these two teams match up. Um, what are your three keys for uh, the Georgia Bulldogs to come into Tuscaloosa and get the win? The last there? two times Georgia has played Alabama, the national title game in 
17 and in the SEC game. In those two games, Alabama and Nick Saban's never taken a snap with a lead. In 120, right. 120 minutes of football, they've never taken a snap with a lead. So Georgia has jumped out on Alabama. And then even Jim Chaney said later that he did pull the reins back some in the national title game uh, on Jake Fromm because he was trying to protect that lead. Uh, you can't do that with Alabama. You've got to start fast. Now, we've seen Georgia play three games and only play three halves of football. The Arkansas game, we didn't, That's right. Georgia didn't play a good first half. They, they were down seven to five. Then they came out and dominated the second half. Uh, and the same thing with Auburn and with Tennessee. So w- w- Georgia's got to start fast and allow the defense to do what it does. Uh, that the, the front seven of Georgia has 20 guys that are five or four-star athletes. Now, they have packages for everything you want to do. Third and five, they got a package. Third and nine, third and ten, they got mm-hmm. a package. Third and two, they got a package. And they run them in and out, in and out, in and out. Now, these are the kids that played 100 snaps last year. So you've got to right. give that. you got to get a lead and let this defense take some chances. Um, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. you got to start the game with – because everybody wants to get a lead. That's kind of like, you know, that that's without saying uh, – and the second thing is, if Georgia, if we go to halftime of that game and it's 2017 Alabama or 2118 Alabama, then I'm thinking Georgia wins the football game. Uh, based on what this mm-hmm. year has been and what they've done in the second half adjustments against Baker Mayfield, Tua Tagovailoa, mm-hmm. Jalen Hurst, all three guys sat in New York City at a Heisman um, presentation. Mm-hmm. Two of them were set on the bench by Kirby, two and Hertz, and the other guy, well, he lost in double overtime. So <laughs> that, that, the second thing, that, that's the second thing. The third thing, get the running game going, uh, play mm-hmm. Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton more. Uh, there was one play Kendall Milton ran, where he's a true freshman out of California, he's a five-star kid, and nine Tennessee mm-hmm. players hit him. It was only an eight-yard run, but it's one of the greatest I've ever seen is for an eight-yard run. And then Kenny McIntosh is leading the country in kick returns or maybe second in the country in kick returns. So, he, he see, this is the thing. Zamir ran the ball 22 times for 50 yards. Kenny ran it eight mm-hmm. times for 56. And Kendall run it like eight or nine times for 52. So, Zamir White, and I love Zamir White, but they're giving some – Samir's running everything between the guard and the tackle. So the third thing right. is they got to get the running game going. They got to get these freshmen in there. If they fumble the ball, fine. Lick your wounds. If you get beat, go back, get ready, and play next week because that's what we do in the SEC. That's right. That's right. Me, that's right. Uh, Kenneth. I would say, and I, and I think you're spot on, Georgia cannot um, have the, the kind of the kind of, I would say, fall behind, especially in the first half. We we know what this Alabama offense does in the first half. They they put they they can put teams to to bed really early. Nobody scores more in the first half than Alabama this season with 84 first half points. Um, they can and, and I call it the, the the Golden State effect, where if you're not careful and you're you're 
punting the ball or you're turning the ball over on downs, kind of what we saw with Georgia going into the half against Tennessee. You can't afford to have those kind of mistakes this this uh, weekend against Alabama because that offense led by Mac Jones and I call it the three-headed monster at wide receiver with Michi, uh, Waddle, and Smith, they can put points up really quickly. And if you're Georgia, you don't want to fall behind by more than two scores because that takes the running game off of the table because you're going to have to play catch up. And I think what for Alabama, they're going to want to jump on Georgia early, get them down by 10, 13 in the first first half and put the pressure on Kirby to see, okay, are we going to stay with the running game or are we going to go passing 75%? Oh, there's no doubt that Alabama is the deadliest offense and everybody wants to, you know, last year LSU had a deep on offense with Joe Burrows that, that, you know, uh, in a lot of ways is never going to be duplicated. Uh, but this Alabama offense, when you look at what Tua did his first three ball games at Alabama, now I will say he, he didn't play as much in those games as Mac Jones did. But Mac Jones is, ab- is absolutely right. matched him and beat him in some categories. Mac, Mac Jones – I would be, and people asked me this earlier in the year before that we got the kickoff, would you rather see Bryce Young or Mac Jones? I said, Bryce, any day. And I know what <laughs> Mac Jones could do. Yeah, but you're right. If Alabama gets a lead and a big lead, then Georgia's forced to make a quarterback change. Uh, this, this is the question I have for Mac Jones in Alabama. Are you patient enough mm-hmm. with a great defense? Are you patient enough? to punt the ball three or four times, hit the big play when you can get it, run, run Harris enough, mm-hmm. Najee Harris, I think I said Damon earlier. Uh, That's run right. Najee Harris. <laughs> uh, do you have the patience mm-hmm. to play this kind of game? Because you're not used to it. Uh, you haven't had to do it. And I used to get asked all the time, why didn't Alabama run the ball anymore? My God, man, last year we had Judy and those guys, and they're 10 <laughs> yards behind a cornerback. Why the hell do you want to run the ball? <laughs> it's hard. I tell people it's it's hard to run the ball when you're scoring. In in, in yeah, in I mean, my God, no, this. no. Well, we need to run the ball. We need to get tough. No, you don't. No, you don't. Not you, you're going to just pass up a, a, a touchdown pass just so you can run. No, no, man. But sometimes we that gets to be uh, a blessing and a curse because a curse. you get in those games mm-hmm. where. You, you go up against it. See, I've always believed that in college football, and, and to some extent professional football, but college football more than anything else, your strength versus their strength. You play in a team that's, let's say, Oklahoma. Let's use them for an example because they're a great example. Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley would play and, and score 55 points a game, get in a playoff situation or a bowl game, with an SEC school or somebody that played defense. And that was the end of the story mm-hmm. because they weren't, they, they didn't know how to transition into that kind of football game. So all of a sudden, everything's not right. easy. Are you patient when it's not easy? And that's, that's the question I have for Alabama's offense. Are they going to be patient if they're not hitting the big strikes like they're used to hitting? And I think you're right, and that's something that I know for me going into this ball game. What I'm going to look for, and especially in the first half, 
I want to see how many times Alabama is able to get in the red zone because this Alabama offense, when they're in the red zone, they score touchdowns. And Georgia doesn't allow teams to get into the red zone. So you kind of want to see that 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 kind of boxing match, if you will. Does does Georgia give up enough enough of those um, explosive plays to where Alabama's in the red zone? And then what does Alabama yeah. do once they're there? And that's going to be the key. One of the keys is going to be, and, and people talk a lot about uh, Stingley at LSU. Uh, there's a kid at Georgia who went to school with Patrick Sertain. Uh, they were both very, yes, very highly rated five stars out of, uh, I think it was IMG Academy, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and I may be wrong there. You can uh, bullet check me on that later, Kenneth. But both of these kids, mm-hmm. uh, Tyson Campbell is is the kind of kid that can take a waddle because he did it with Judy. He did it – or. I think him and, of course, you had, uh, oh, Lord, the kid that went to the New York Giants. Um, you, you have those, yes. you know, um, you have those old man moments sometimes. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> you have those 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 cornerbacks that can take away. Now, are you going to sh- totally shut down Jason Waddle? I don't care who you are. You're not doing that. But this kid this kid is a next mm-hmm. level talent, Devontae Smith. The question remains again, can you, if these guys are not able, you know, I think Georgia's going to be happy with the 12 to 15-yard route that they complete it and they, and they keep going down the field. But I, I do not think Kirby Smart, because it's never been his MO, is to let you get the 80-yard pass on a 10-yard slant. That, that's not Kirby's game. Right. And Georgia Dog, wrapping it up here, um, once again, I want to say thank you, my friend, for coming on. It is going to be one heck of a matchup, and I, I, I say it all the time. This is why you play in the SEC is you're going to be tested week in and week out, and nobody does it better than the SEC. And I'm looking forward to seeing these two great coaches and these two great teams who are charter members of the SEC but don't get to see each other um, nearly as much. So whenever they do square off, it is, and, you know, best of luck to both teams, Kenneth. Uh, God bless everybody. Hope nobody gets hurt. And you know what I got to say, right? Doggone. Yes, sir. Doggone. You can catch Georgia dog. Ladies and gentlemen, I am pleased to be joined by a good friend, and nobody knows the University of Alabama football like my next guest, and that is Mr. Kevin Hagan. Kevin, my friend, first of all, thank you for coming on, and as I've told everybody, I can't thank you, Evie, Bill King, and Georgia Dog enough for really showing me how to get into this business and most of all, how to be a professional. So Kevin, my friend, thank you, and glad to have you on. Uh, thank you, my friend. It's a tremendous honor, although I do, it does make me worry that maybe you've run out of quality guests now that you've gotten all the way down the batting order to me. Not at all, my friend. Hey, so as I uh, mentioned with Evie, um, we went to an SEC game and a Big 12 game broke out um, last Saturday in Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, share with, with the listeners your thoughts about that that game. Yeah, I was texting my friends during the game saying, wow, this is what it's like to be in the Mountain West Conference. Uh, we got everything but the snow. Um, you know, I mentioned last week when I did my weekly segment on Bill King's show um, that I would not be surprised, <coughs> excuse me, that 
Ole Miss uh, scored well over 30 points. And if you'll remember, I even threw out the number 500 total yards would not scare me. I knew that Lane, uh, with his play calling, would uh, have the ability to roll up some some yards and numbers on the Alabama defense. But I was sickened and disgusted by what I saw from the Alabama defense. And I'm not I'm not really talking about going up against the play calling uh, uh, from Lane Kiffin. Uh, I'm talking about the missed tackles, the yes. being out of position. Uh, it was like the Kirby Smart days. I remember when our defense, when the ball was snapped, uh, 11 guys looking at the sideline trying to figure out mm-hmm. what the last-minute uh, adjustment was. Uh, I, I had a, I, I got a number. Uh, I'd be careful where I got this number from. But uh, I heard a number that uh, it, I want to say 31 missed tackles on film. Saturday yes. that, that that is freaking disgusting I mean that's the kind of numbers that you expect from a middle school game from two right. 500 programs whoever thought we would have a Nick Saban coach defense with over 30 missed tackles in a game and I'm just going to be real honest I mean there's some of these uh, players on the Alabama defense that have you know been given holy grail status well, I'll tell you right now uh, the first person that I want to call out for a a lot of missed tackles and horrible plays Saturday night was none other than Mike linebacker Dylan Moses. He had an absolutely atrocious game Saturday night. And I'm not putting all the blame on him, but Dylan Moses was one of them, uh, along with Daniel Wright and DeMarco Hellams, that uh, they stunk the joint up Saturday night. Absolutely, Kevin. Um, that missed tackle number that you came up with is pretty close with um, some of the numbers that, that I, I saw after the game. And Credit to Lane Kiffin for understanding Nick's um, adjustment patterns. I call it trying to play chess when um, when it's third down. Nick loves to get into those sub, sub packages. And once he sees whatever that offensive formation, typically um, with his defense, you see the the linebackers and most of the team now looking over to the sidelines, trying to get that last second adjustment and Lane absolutely pounced on it. And uh, one of the stats that I don't think I've ever seen from a Nick Saban coach team in over 20 years of him being a head coach at the collegiate level, quarterback throwing for over 350 yards, two different running backs going over 120 yards, both running backs having two touchdowns in a single game two wide receivers going over 120 yards and also having two touchdowns. I, I don't think I ever thought I would see the day where a Nick Saban defense would have those kind of numbers put up against it. No, it was, it was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Jerry on Ely and uh, Snoop Connor, there were times Snoop Connor, uh, you know, looked like Walter Payton out there. Uh, and, and the disgusting thing for me too, and I, I mentioned it last Friday on Bill's show was, you know, one of my keys to the game was that the Alabama defense was going to have to finally figure out how to get off the field on third down and as we all know, they failed in that. They're, they're now, uh, what, what is their numbers now? I saw, what, three for 34, last in the nation, 8.8% on, on third down. And that's what really angered me in the game with the number of, of third and longs that, that they were able to convert on. In the second quarter, they, they converted on a, third, on a third and 12. They had a 17-yard pass. They had a third and 27. Healy rushed for 22 yards to make it fourth and five, and then they hit an 18-yard pass. But I, th- I think when I really lost it, and it's, a, it's amazing that I didn't break, uh, break anything on my <laughs> desk, was in the second quarter, the fourth and one, Kenneth, and Snoop Connor goes for a 26-yard rush on a fourth and one. Um, that's mm-hmm. absolutely unheard of. I mean, Ole Miss was nine of 17 on third down, but three of those nine conversions uh, were of over 
10 yards. And, and, and uh, Ole Miss Evie, I know today, mentioned on her segment on the Bill King Show, tight end Yaboa, uh, he had a career mm-hmm. night. Well, guess what? You know what? If I was the tight end for Georgia, I would be in my pads on Saturday morning about 6 a.m. on the sideline ready to go because tight ends are absolutely eating this Alabama defense alive. If Texas A&M had the offensive wizard coach that that they think that they have, they have a phenomenal tight end, and he could have had a field day against us a week earlier. So, I mean, that, that tight end position, it's just that glaring open area in the middle of the field. But here's the reality of that. Um, you know, we talk about Lane Kiffin, and Lane is a brilliant offensive mind. But Lane has evolved since he's left Alabama, and he had he's yes. learned from Nick Saban. That learned that you know one of the great things about Saban typically is he brings in great minds and he picks great minds. Well, Lane Kiffin has really embraced that Art Briles coaching tree. You know, you know he had Kendall Briles with him at FAU, mm-hmm. and now he has Jeff Levy. Uh, who was on the Baylor staff with Art Browse uh, as his offensive coordinator at Ole Miss. And I'm actually told that it was Jeff Levy that was calling the play Saturday night and gutting that Alabama defense. And he is the hot new name in offensive coaching. He will have a head coaching job or he'll be in the NFL as a coordinator very, very soon. If you don't know the Jeff, the name Jeff Levy, uh, you will soon because he's going to be a household name in offensive circles. Well, Kevin, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, just watching um, a lot of the Georgia tape, uh, they have not one but two outstanding tight ends, and their quarterback, Bennett, loves throwing that tight end seam uh, pattern, which Alabama has, as you pointed out, have given up huge chunk yards on, on those kind of routes. Oh, they have, and, and it, that's, that's a real concern. I mean, uh, the bottom line is the, the, the first thing on the defensive side of the ball going into the game Saturday, in my opinion, uh, is that Alabama has to simplify the defense. Uh, and I, I've, I've told the story before in the Bill King show about how Jeremy Pruitt went to Nick Saban at halftime of the Mississippi game in Starkville in 2017 and didn't ask permission. Mm-hmm. He told him, I'm going to simplify the defense because if we don't, you're going to get your butt beat. We're not going to get out of here with a win. And, and there would have been no national. Now, that's a true right. story. If it wasn't for Pruitt having the yes. cojones, he didn't ask for permission. He, he did it. Okay, well, we're mm-hmm. not going to get that from Pete Golden. And the other thing is, I mean, tackle, tackle, tackle. I mean, is it how hard is it? That's tackling is effort. It doesn't require a tremendous amount. It is tackling is all about effort. And the other thing that worries me, uh, you know, Kenneth, is, is the eye discipline that this defense has got to have. I, I can assure you, Georgia will score a touchdown on at least one wheel route Saturday. I guarantee. I guarantee it. I guarantee it as sure as I sit here. And then the improved communication. Mm-hmm. And communication takes a huge blow uh, with the loss of Jordan Battle. There isn't anybody in that secondary, that, in my opinion, that we could have afforded to lose worse than Jordan Battle. And it was a good call. It was a stupid hit on his part late in the game. The, the call was the right call. That is going to be a massive first-half loss uh, for Alabama's secondary. And, Kevin, turning our attention to uh, the upcoming game, I think everybody by now has heard the news that um, Coach Saban has um, tested positive for COVID, and we all wish uh, Coach Saban a speedy recovery. Um, You mentioned Jordan Battle being out. Um, Two two names that I circled on that Alabama defense who – Either they don't understand what wrapping up is or they just refuse to, and that is Harris and Daniel Wright. So many times I saw watching that Ole Miss tape where he was basically trying to shoulder tackle a guy 
um, when all he needed to do was wrap the guy up, play fundamental, which I know the Alabama defense uh, coaches, and just stop um, the ball carrier. So many of those long runs, um, both from Ely and Connor, came off of guys not wrapping up and just trying to knock a guy over with a shoulder. Oh, absolutely. Down. I mean, I, I go back and I think about Daniel Wright's uh, pathetic effort at the end of the first half in the Texas A&M game, which resulted in the 47-yard touchdown run because he did a little shoulder bump. At the time that happened, I could, I laughed mm-hmm. and I thought to myself, so what, what, what would have happened What would have happened to that young man if he'd have pulled that stunt under Coach Bryant? And what if he'd have pulled that stunt under Nick Saban 10 years ago? I'll be real honest with you. 2010 mm-hmm. Nick Saban, uh, my advice to him would have been uh, run to the Texas A&M sideline and ask for political asylum. Uh, it, so this is not like it was a one-time occurrence in the Ole Miss game, as you mentioned, from the players you've mentioned. We've seen a mm-hmm. lack of physicality and the inability to wrap up and tackle from them consistently uh, through, throughout the year. And uh, there's just no excuse for it. I mean, like I said, that doesn't require tremendous out of talent. That's just fundamentals. And that's also coaching. And it goes, and I think a big part of this, and I talked about this last year on Bill King show, we're getting to the point where, mm-hmm. you know, and this will make a lot of Alabama fans mad. The quality of assistant coaches on this Nick Saban staff isn't anywhere where it was five or six years ago, you know, five or six years ago, at one point he had Good seven point. would be our eventual head coaches on his staff is one now in Steve Sarkeesian. And, and I think that is rearing its ugly head, Kenneth, and these lack of fundamentals we're seeing on the field. And I would also um, caution Alabama fans to understand that Ole Miss offense is going to put a lot of damage on a lot of teams' um, uh, defensive stats. But you're right. The, the one thing um, we've seen all great defensive head coaches um, absolutely focus in on Defense is about effort and commitment. You have to one, you have to have the effort to tackle, and then you have to commit to the tackle. And we've seen, um, and not picking on Daniel Wright, but him, Christian Harris, uh, Dylan Moses looks absolutely lost to me playing the Mike linebacker right now. He's spending way too much time looking over to the sidelines, and I think um, him. Even though he's a a junior, he hasn't had a lot of snaps at that Mike linebacker position calling it. And one of the things I talked about uh, going into the season was this Alabama offense and defensive line coming back home and playing a physical brand of football. We've seen a lack of being able to run the ball. I know what the the numbers were in the Ole Miss game, but I kind of take those numbers as fool's gold. Um, I, I don't see this Alabama defense having what I call an alpha dog or a leader um, in that front seven, a Rolando McClain, a C.J. Mosley, a um, Jonathan Allen. I don't see someone grabbing anybody beside anybody by their shirt collars and saying, this is not the Alabama standard, and we have to get to that. So what for you is going to be uh, some of the keys for um, – the Alabama defense in this game going up against a Georgia team that has struggled uh, running well, the ones I mentioned earlier, the two other keys for me are this. Uh, the first one is uh, the defensive line has absolutely got to learn to get off blocks and get into gaps. We used to be great at that. 
we would throw people aside and we jump into mm-hmm. running lanes and the and, and, and the linebackers and, and the secondary rarely had to deal with the plays because they were the running plays were stopped at the offensive line. Our defensive linemen stay engaged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not able to get they're not able to get off the blocks. And the second thing is like and, and going back to what I mentioned earlier, they've absolutely got to get off the field on third down. It's absolutely imperative, mm-hmm. especially when they've got, you know. Georgia, you know, third and five or less. You cannot continue to allow this Georgia defense to to stay on the field. It's a very great, I mean, it's a great offensive running game that Georgia has, but it's not it's not unstoppable. But it's going to be if you can't if those if the defensive line. This is what I'm going to be looking for early in the game, Kenneth, on the defensive side of the ball. If those defensive linemen for Alabama cannot get off their blocks, it could be a very long day on that side of the ball. And Kevin, just just looking at um, kind of the game script, I, I I've kind of kind of looked at for for this game. It is basically strength on strength and weakness on weakness at this point. It's that Alabama juggernaut of an offense going up against the best front seven in all of college football in the Georgia Bulldogs. But I think um, Kirby tipped his hand with uh, his game plan in the second half against Tennessee. He wasn't getting home against that Tennessee offensive line just playing his base and, and just rushing four. In the second half, right out of the gates, you see Kirby and that defense starting to bring five, starting to bring six, and they were getting pressure on Garantano and forcing a lot of those mistakes that the Tennessee offense made. You had the fumble that led to a touchdown. You had just a terrible interception where Garantano is throwing off his back foot. That leads to another score. And the, finally, the, 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 basically the, the game sealer where um, Monte Rice um, comes in on a blitz. Um, Garantano doesn't see him. He strips it, goes in for, for a fumble six. This Alabama offensive line, as much as we talk about it not being a physical offensive line, it is probably one of the best pass-blocking offensive lines. And Mack is playing with extreme confidence. Uh, he feels and looks to me like he he's, he's mastering the offense. And they're going to probably have to start blitzing him. Oh, early. he took the words right out of my mouth. This is That's the strength of this Alabama offensive line is its ability to pass block. And Alex Leatherwood and Evan Neal are elite, elite pass blockers. So I would be shocked if Georgia had any success uh, bringing, uh, you know, bringing pressure off of the corners. And, and another thing that's going to play into this passing game on Saturday, and the young man deserves credit for it, is Najee Harris has tr- improved tremendously in his pass, pass blocking ability. When he came in as a freshman at Alabama, he didn't think it was a part of his job description. Mm-hmm. He now takes tremendous pride in that. And that's going to be a huge part of the game Saturday. And another thing that I think Alabama fans need to realize is, is the fact that the reality is Mac Jones does a, has shown me in, in his uh, you know, three starts this year, he does a great job of staying patient in the pocket when there's pressure. You know, there mm-hmm. were times when there was pressure in the pocket that Tua would sometimes force passes into trouble. But Mac seems to stay patient. So I'm, he's not fleet of foot. I'm not saying he's going to tuck the ball and run. But I have a lot of confidence. And Mac's not, Mac's not afraid to get hit. And he's durable. Okay. Uh, he's not porcelain. He's, he's, he's the real deal. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, if there is pressure, Mac's going to stand in and he's going to step up when necessary and deliver the ball. So I will be very, very shocked if Alabama um, isn't able to move the ball through the air. Now, one thing I think we'll have to, 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 you know, 
look at Saturday is Georgia has a really strong secondary. Alabama's gained a lot of yards after the catch their receivers have in their first three games this year. I don't know that we'll see as many yards mm-hmm. after the catches um, as we have, but uh, I, I think if Georgia fans think they're going to come in and shut down Mac Jones in this passing game, I think they're in for a real rude awakening. And Kevin, great point there. And that was something in um, my earlier conversation with the Georgia dog breaking down that, that Georgia, that Georgia um, game plan. That was one of the things that he mentioned. He said, don't expect Alabama to get those huge chunk um, yards um, after the catch. And can Alabama be patient enough on offense to take those 12, 13, 14 play drives and um, not worry about hitting that that home run shot that Alabama over the past two years have hit for a record I think it's 16 straight games where the Alabama offense has scored Mm -hmm. scored over 35 points which is an NCAA record never thought I would say that about an Alabama offense one thing that I saw um, or haven't seen and everybody knows my, my thoughts about Lane Kiffin being one of the best play callers I've ever seen Coach Sarkeesian doesn't take a backseat in that department to anybody. I've yet to see Alabama uh, line up in a 20 personnel where you have both Brian Robinson and Najee Harris on the field at the same time and those three talented wide receivers. I think if if need be, if um, Lane, I mean, if uh, Coach Sark starts to see where they're starting to blitz it, the one way that you can you can uh, slow down a blitz is you can do it by formation and you can do it by personnel. You could see Brian Robinson uh, kind of flexed out like another wide receiver. Najee's still in the backfield with with Mac, and that's going to basically key who's who's coming as far as the Georgia defense. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, Lane Kiffin is an elite play caller. That's what he's best at. Steve Sarkeesian is an elite play caller. What I think what he's actually best at is, is quarterback uh, development. And, you know, if you, we'd have mm-hmm. done this interview two days earlier, my first point on offense would have been my concern that Nick Saban was going to Sark's business. I would have said the first thing that needs to happen is Nick needs to live leave Sark alone and let him run the offense on Saturday. One of the great things about being the interim head coach on Saturdays, we don't have to worry about that happening. Steve Sarkeesian is going to have free reign uh, to call the plays. And you're exactly right, my friend. Alabama's run 191 offensive plays this year, and they've run exactly zero plays from the 20 formation. So you were completely right about that. And I, I think that we're, you know, Sarkeesian, he's a bright, bright individual. And uh, I will be very, very shocked if we don't see him use the person that I think, and, and no, no offense to Mac Jones, but in my opinion, Alabama's leading Heisman can, candidate for this year, and that's number 17, Jalen Waddell. I think we're going to see Steve Sarkeesian use Jalen Waddell Saturday night in some very unique, creative ways that we have not seen him use him all year. And I think on the offensive side, Jalen Waddell will be the X factor for Alabama. And that's a name that that I, I've told told um, all the listeners this week and some other conversations on interviews that I've done. You haven't seen Jalen Waddle really break um, what I call one of those special punt returns yet. And with Kirby being extremely aggressive and sometimes careless, um, 
with with some of those fourth down calls like we saw against Tennessee, if you get the ball in Waddle's hands, whether it's on a reverse, whether it's one on one of those flanker screens or or flare routes, I think you could ab- absolutely see Jalen absolutely line, lining up as a Wildcat quarterback in a couple of um, a couple of snaps just to throw this um, Georgia defense off. Oh, absolutely, off and, and, and that is very much in the playbooks. Yeah, if if Georgia uh, special teams coordinator, and I laugh and I say that tongue in cheek, that's the title they've given him, uh, Scott Cochran, <laughs> who I've always called the mouth of the South. Um, if the mouth of the South is dumb enough to punt the ball to Jalen Waddle on Saturday night, he deserves what he gets. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Very well put, Kevin, my friend. Um, what is, what is your, your final thoughts here on, on the matchup? Because I do feel we're going to see part two of this matchup in the SEC championship game with Florida going to A&M and having that huge loss basically gives Georgia a, a basically a free run here where they want to win the game, but it's not one of those. Oh, absolutely. I, I think uh, I would be shocked if we don't see a rematch of this game in, in mid-December at, in, in Atlanta. Um you know, I, I've waffled back and forth, and I'm still waffling at this time over which team I think will actually win on Saturday. I think it could be a coin flip either way, mm-hmm. uh, but I definitely think the, the the rematch is in store. But I will say this. I mean, I, I hate that Coach Saban isn't going to be on the sideline, but I have a lot of confidence in Steve Sarkeesian's ability, and he's the only coach on that staff that's qualified to step in as the interim head coach. Let's make that really, really right. clear. Um, you know, if, if something were to happen to Georgia were to win Saturday, you know, um, you know, Alabama fans can always lean on the fact that, you know, wasn't Nick Saban on the sidelines. Uh, although I will say this, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, he had to, he, this is the second time he's been asked to do this at Alabama. Remember, he was thrust into the offensive coordinator's uh, role uh, the week before the Clemson game. And he was not the reason we lost that game. I will argue with anybody had Bo Scarborough not broken his leg in that game. Alabama would have won the national championship in that game. And now he's asked to step in as the, as the uh, interim mm-hmm. head coach. A lot of confidence in him, but uh, I will say I'm going to make a crazy prediction. Whoever loses the game on Saturday night will probably win the SEC championship game simply because these teams are so evenly matched. Either team sweeping the other team 2-0. And if that were to happen and if the SEC championship game is as competitive as I think it will be like Saturday's game, Kenneth, we may see round three in the playoffs. Very well could be. Kevin, let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter and give them where they sure, can you also can call, hear you Follow on me radio. on Twitter at, at L-E-X-K-Y-Tide. Uh, and you can hear me every Friday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Central on the Bill King Show. Uh, I do a, a weekly segment talking Alabama football. So uh, give it a listen, but give Bill a listen five days a week. It truly is the greatest uh, you know, college football radio show out there and, and keep listening. My, my buddy, Kenneth here, uh, I keep telling Kenneth, uh, Kenneth should be a general manager for an NFL team. His knowledge of football just never ceases to amaze me and his passion. And, and, and my friend, I will say it again. It's been an honor uh, to be a guest on with you today. Kevin, my friend, thank you so much for the kind words and look. Have a great to, day, uh, everybody. And roll tide. That was Kevin Hagan, everyone. Uh, like I said, you can catch Kevin on with Bill King Friday morning. Thank you. Kevin, thank you so much. Thank you.
Thanks Kenneth and Billy. We also want to say thank you to Gator Dave, Ole Miss Evie, Georgia Dog and Kevin Hagan for joining Kenneth this week. Please give them all a follow on Twitter at LexKYTide for Kevin, at GatorDave underscore SEC for Dave, and at Gators Breakdown. We have made a few changes to the podcast format. I will have the weather forecast for all the games and Billy will give you a final look at the lines on Saturday morning. Be sure that catch Kenneth breaking down the game of the week in the SEC on the Southern Gentleman Sports Show with Georgia Dog, Pac-12 Dave, Nolcor, Irish Bill, Tiger Mike, and Miss Callie Cash the ticket 850. You can stream the show at www.wearesportsradio.com. In closing, we want to say thank you for listening. And be sure to head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of our good friend David Walker's book, I'll Tell You When You're Good. And please give a follow to our good friend Ole Miss Evie on Twitter at Ole Miss Evie and her fantastic site at The Rebel Walk. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at time underscore advantage and check out our website www.crunchtimesportsadvantage.com. For Billy and Kenneth, this is Summer. Have a great day, everyone.